From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. This is a milestone episode of the official podcast, The Gators, but given how many events are packed into the current calendar, there is hardly time to reflect on how we got to episode 300. But whether this is your first time downloading an episode or you were here when we launched in August of 2015, we're glad you're with us. On today's show, we'll be joined by FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry to discuss the thin margin of error for men's basketball's tournament hopes, continued respect and accolades for women's hoops, a tough opening weekend for baseball, SEC championships delivered by men's swimming and gymnastics, and appropriate punishments for sports crimes in the PAT. Then, we'll get to know another one of men's basketball's bevy of transfers and one of the most unique names you'll ever meet in Flandris Fleming. But first, it's time for the Gator Roundtable presented by Pet Paradise. Are you the kind of fan who loves your team as much as your pet? Bring your pets to play where animal lovers and sports fans collide. Pet Paradise, the official pet care provider of the Florida Gators. This is episode 300. We have not done 300 roundtables. I would estimate we've done probably 275 roundtables. So I'll let you know when we get to that number. Um, But for all intents and purposes, it's a big show for us. It's number 300. We have a lot of things to cover across a wide variety of sports. Let's start with with men's hoops. Chris, we talked last week about sort of the road ahead through the the final stretch through regular season and what you thought needed to happen um, to get them on the right side of the bubble. That included a win over Auburn or Kentucky. They got the first part of that. They beat Auburn. Um, and that was obviously, that was moving in the right direction. But then the Tuesday game against Arkansas kind of goes the other way. So as you sit back and look at the big picture right now, where are the Gators after the events of the last week? Yeah, to have Auburn and to have Arkansas, two back-to-back teams, ranked teams. Uh, to, to, uh, Arkansas came in 18th. I mean, let's, let's start with the Saturday game, Adam. Uh, the, you know, what, what Florida did that day in, in coming back a, a, against a team that, that very, is going to be very, very in the mix for, the, uh, for, for not only the SEC championship, which they, they're, you know, they're a game up there. They could easily win the SEC tournament and are going to be players in the national championship. I mean, what Florida did to win that game, um, well, I mean, what's the story? Florida had never beaten a, a team ranked as high as number two at home. Jabari Smith uh, going to be the number one pick in the draft, I, I can almost – assure you um come this june the freshman forward he was spectacular but um so was tyree appleby man he was he was great he had 20 of his 26 points in the second and it and and they beat an auburn team they come back they make they make a bunch of mistakes late in the game and yet make the big defensive play the big defensive stop as time expires to uh to to notch a a a signature win and there they are in a position for another one tuesday night against 18th rank arkansas Six point lead, about I think inside seven minutes to go. Arkansas goes on a seven nothing run that becomes eighteen to four to end the game. So uh, it was all right there for them. I mean, they could have banked those two uh, uh, quad quad one wins 
against two of the best teams in the country, two of the best defensive teams in the country. Arkansas's defensive metrics are off the chain when it comes to uh, in, internal SEC play. And Florida had one of their better offensive games of the season with Kyle Castleton scoring 29 points. I mean, he was fantastic. Um, he outplayed Walker Kessler for the second time in Saturday's game. I think, uh, you know, what, 19 points and eight rebounds, I think, in that game. Walker Kessler had all kinds of problems dealing with him in the block. And then, then Jalen Williams is a really good defensive player for Arkansas, 6'10", uh, sophomore forward. Um, I would say uh, Jalen Williams was good. He had his moments, to be sure. He had a huge three-pointer in that 7 nothing run that was, that was brutal. But uh, Colin, had, Colin was 10 of 16 from the floor. He was 9 of 10 from the free throw line. He worked, he, he worked his butt off inside to keep Florida in position to win the game. Uh, Tyree Appleby had 19 points, but um, no one else scored double figures for Florida. Land Fleming was pretty good. He, he had a kind of box score, 9-6-3 kind of game. Um, but they needed a, a – if there's a Batman and a Robin, they needed a Batgirl, uh, another uh, person maybe – scoring and scoring in double figures or maybe being a little more of a threat offensively because Arkansas leaves with uh, five guys, double figures, and damn, they made every play they had to make, and they made a bunch of plays that Florida should have made uh, as far as offensive rebounds, stick backs. There were game, there were plays, Adam. Defensive rebound falls in Florida's hands, and now Arkansas just took it away from or there was one play that bounced off uh, Brandon McKissick's chest into a guy who laid, laid the ball up. Mm-hmm. I mean that stuff adds up in a game like that, and it and it and it it's deflating after a long possession where you guard the way you're supposed to guard, and they get they they shoot a harried uh, you know late shot clock shot and get a long offensive rebound and score right away. Um, they had a couple Florida. They had a couple plays Adam where Florida scored and Arkansas takes the ball in and scores like in seven or eight seconds. So mm-hmm. you don't even get to enjoy your six point lead because it's four points in a blink of an eye. So uh, th- those are things that Florida has dealt with uh, this season. They're common dominators. Mike White talked about it, especially the defensive rebounding, securing rebounds, grabbing them with two hands. So it, it was it was an opportunity um, that got away. Instead, eighteen and ten with three quad one wins. They're you know seventeen eleven with two quad one wins. I think it's eight quad one losses. It's not an impressive resume right now. It's gonna, it has them on the outside looking in. Uh, at Georgia Saturday, at Vanderbilt next week, Kentucky at home. I, I just think it's a situation where um, if they want to feel much, much, much better about their uh, NSA tournament opportunities, they, they may have to win all three of those. Let's turn our attention now to the women's basketball team. And, you know, Scott, we knew that if there was a huge test left on the schedule that was that was really going to challenge them, it was going to be that game at LSU. Um, and, and to their credit, it was a very, very close, hard-fought game that they, they came up short. But you're playing in front of a sold-out house at a top-10 team. I mean, again, if we talk about this in the context of previous Florida women's basketball, that's the situation where they might have been, you know, beaten handily. But in this case... They battled, they fought, and I think they continued to show, and as the rankings show, because they moved up this week again, uh, they're earning a lot of respect. And and with two games left in the season, a top four SEC finish is just on the horizon. Yeah, the the LSU loss is one, you know, you look at that game, Adam, and it was was right down to the end. Uh, Zippy Broughton, I think with less than uh, eight seconds left, took a three to potentially tie. Uh, It was short, and LSU got the rebound, made a couple of free throws. End up winning by five, but certainly nothing that the Gators, I don't think, 
it, it's not something that's going to slow them down if they, they finish up the regular season and then head up to Nashville for the tournament. I think what we've seen of this team, uh, we know that it's going to be a very competitive team in uh, pretty much every game. Obviously, winning a lot of games on the road, unlike past years. And I mean, they're going to hot. They're going to be hot. Uh, a hot pick, I think, at least to make a run up at the SEC tournament. South Carolina is going to be the clear favorite. But I think after after the Gamecocks, you know, you're talking about Florida, LSU, Tennessee. I mean, Florida, you know, beat Tennessee handily at home. They split against LSU. Uh, so if they can get into that top, top four, that's going to make for a more interesting stay, I think, for the Gators and we're accustomed to at the SEC. You know, they're looking at, obviously, bigger things down the road if you look at the latest projections. Uh, still a couple of games left, though, Adam. Uh, you know, Missouri, the home finale for the Gators after a road trip to Vanderbilt. Missouri did beat South Carolina this year, so that's, that's not a give by by yeah. any chance. So it's a uh, how strong can they finish? Can they surprise some people in the SEC tournament and really perhaps improve their seats? So a uh, lot to play for. Uh, I think the big question, though, you know, we saw Kiki Smith have an injury at the end of the LSU game. She was unable to shoot a couple of free throws. And, uh, you know, how much that will impact her as the season goes on, we don't know yet, but. If I can interject there, I actually saw Kiki, and I think I, I think she's doing okay. And okay. and it yeah. was that was good. That was that was good news. Uh, just seeing her in the in the in the basketball complex. But to Scott's point, um, when he's talking about the best teams in the Southeastern Conference, Tennessee lost their leading scorer and rebounder for the season. Um, so that could be a factor in terms of maybe a Florida. Let's say Florida is a six, like you said, in Bloomington. If Florida can make it to the final of the SEC tournament, that might move them up into that top four seed which means playing at home in the NCAA tournament and that would be something I don't think that's happened here since 1998 maybe uh, I'm, I'm not 100% sure of that that's that's the last time I saw uh, a game uh, uh, NCAA tournament game at home uh, and Florida did make the Sweet 16 that season and I mean just imagine if, if that, that what an accomplishment that would be for uh, for this program and not only is, are we like, like kind of daydreaming about it that's a I mean, that's a scenario that, given how well this team has played, especially, you know, losing to LSU by five on the road is hardly a uh, – uh, anything, anything, anything we shaded. They're right there, and they came back and had the, gave themselves a chance. But uh, to even – the fact that we were even talking about this is – Wild. Uh, it's, it, it is wild, it's, and it's one of the reasons that uh, Kelly Ray Finley is being talked about, not just as the SEC coach there, but as the NCAA, the national coach there, and that would be something. Yeah. Um. You know, interestingly, a, a top four SEC finish seemed almost assured even a, a week ago. Uh, Ole Miss has made quite a run, so they are now uh, in that. T- it's really a top five, and then there's a big drop off. Uh, Florida has one game up on Ole Miss. Ole Miss does have to play South Carolina. So if the Gators win their final two games, of which they would be the favorite in both, uh, they will be assured of a top four finish, which means you get that double bye. And as you talked about, Chris, makes it easier for you to get to that final of the SEC champion of the SEC tournament. Um, again, they haven't even been to the weekend of the SEC tournament in, I believe, decades. I think it goes back into the mid-90s, as you were just talking about now. So lots of history still to be made, potentially, for that team. And we'll be watching carefully to see if they could do it. And in terms, you mentioned Ole Miss. Ole Miss did beat Florida uh, early in the season before Florida started figuring some stuff out. And I guess if they ended up in a tie, Ole Miss would have the 
tiebreaker relative to seeds because they only played one time this season. Good point. Good point as well. So again, we'll continue following that. Make sure to check that team out. If you have not seen them play, you really, really should. Again, they play Thursday, Sunday this week. Uh, Make sure to check that out if you can. I want to talk about baseball. And that's the sports scout that a lot of people checked out over the weekend. A huge crowd uh, for opening weekend at Florida Ballpark. The crowd was great. The results, not so much. You know, we talked last week about what a young team this was. Kevin O'Sullivan was on talking to Jeff Cardozo about that. Um, there's going to be hiccups. And I think some even thought they may come in the first weekend against Liberty, which ultimately uh, is what happened as uh, they gave up two or three. Yep, uh, you know, as I wrote, Adam, for the 108th consecutive season, the Gators baseball team is not going to go undefeated. Uh, <laughs> but having said that, you know, I didn't expect them to lose two or three either. Uh, but a couple of things went into that. I mean, first of all, uh, Liberty's good, man. I mean, they, they're a good team. They're going to be an NCAA tournament team if they stay healthy. Uh, they made some great plays defensively that really cost. They pitched well and I think the story, a couple of stories for the Gators over the weekend. I mean, you know, on the Friday night, you mentioned the big crowd. They set a program record. More than 6,400 came into Florida ballpark. Uh, And the next night, they had a crowd almost as big. And for the weekend, it was uh, 18,000-plus for the three games, which blew away the the previous program record over at McKeitha Stadium, which was, I think, 16,800 or so against Miami back in 2017. So start off with that. I mean, it's a great sign that fans, you know, got a chance to come out. No, I see this team, but for a lot of them to see this ballpark for the first time, it was really the first chance that we've all seen it, uh, you know, with a big crowd. And it, it felt really nice to kind of be back in that atmosphere. Having said that, uh, they wanted to see more than uh, one win in three games. Thankfully, Hunter Barco on Friday night pitched a gym. Uh, he had a no-hitter perfect game for five and a third innings and and uh, left after six scoreless got the weekend off to a really good start sterling thompson had a couple of home runs in the opener including the grand slam and then the bats kind of went cold uh you know kevin o'sullivan after sunday's loss uh, cap in the weekend series losing two or three he said look you know it's first of all you got to give liberty's pitchers a lot of credit second we can't strike out 31 times in 97 at bats i mean wow so so, you know, they struck out a lot, and he's, you know, that was a problem. They kind of plagued the team last year, um, but he said in the uh, preseason they really had a good two-strike approach. So uh, they responded well in the midweek game on Tuesday night down at Stetson, won eight to one. And, of course, uh, Thompson had a huge game again. And um, I think early season baseball, Adam, with the young team, we're going to see some up and downs. Um that's just part of it. I think oh, if you look at the talent, uh, it's pretty obvious that they've got some really good young players, including Pierce Capola, the big left-hander, six-foot-eight guy out of New Jersey. Uh, he he looks like he's going to be special. You know, you look at that, all those factors, Adam. Um, they'll just keep taking it back into another weekend home series this week and see if they can, uh, you know, be on the winning side of a series, but. Just early in the season, I like I said, I think it's uh, going to be a team that will find itself over time. So I don't, I don't take too much out of losing two or three to a good Liberty team. So some growing pains to be expected uh, for baseball on the softball side. A very veteran team. We talked about them last week. They remain undefeated, and you know, reasonably looking at the schedule as I am at the moment, 
they could probably stay undefeated for a while uh, looking at their non-conference schedule leading up to the start of the SEC. So we'll, uh, we'll keep track of them, but they're off to a hot start as expected. Uh, meanwhile, some SEC championships coming into the picture for some other programs. Gymnastics is one that a lot of people are probably aware of. They're very high profile and they're constantly on national TV putting up these incredible performances. They once again claim the SEC. And then maybe a, an accomplishment that not as many casual fans are aware of is men swimming and diving winning an SEC championship for the 10th consecutive year um, it's one of those programs at Florida that it just hums along so much so that you, you can forget how impressive the accomplishment is. But those are two teams right there. They're continuing to add to that ever-growing haul for the, the Florida program. Yeah, anytime you do something for a decade consecutively, uh, that's impressive, Adam. <laughs> when they did that the other night and, you know, 10 in a row, it kind of caught me by surprise. And I knew they had a long streak, but it just made me think about what a, what an accomplishment that is. And, you know, it started under Greg Troy, the former coach, and has continued under Anthony Nesty. And, you know, they've had some great swimmers over that time, obviously highlighted by Caleb Dressel and and uh, now Kieran Smith and Bobby Fink. And, uh, you know, Fink wasn't even a, a part of the uh, SEC meet. Uh, he was out. So now he'll get ready for the NCAAs and they'll take, you know, another conference title and see if they can uh, turn it into a big finish up there. And, he misses the gymnastics. Uh, this uh, it's just kind of like their first hurdle for this group. I mean, we know that this team, their ultimate goal is to win a national title, and they are kind of on the same pace they were last year when they won the SEC. This was the fourth one in a row. Uh, but the difference with this team, Adams, is a little deeper, obviously, and also it's healthy right now. And, uh, they'll hope to maintain uh, both of those because that's uh, going to be imperative for them to do what they want to do. But uh, to go up and, uh, you know, to, uh, to, to kind of knock down the first hurdle of their goals. That's the way I look at it. And now they got a big regular season meet this weekend. It's the number two Oklahoma coming in here to face number three Gators. It's always going to be a big, big matchup. And it's going to be a big crowd at the O-Dome. It's the last chance, you know, the Florida fans can see them at home uh, this season. So uh, a lot going on with that program right now. Speaking of knocking down hurdles, it's something I imagine Juwan Howard could do with his fist, uh, which leads oh, wow. us into our PAT. Did you like that good transition for you guys? Um, sure. So yeah that that was that was unexpected, right? Uh, Juwan Howard uh, got on everybody's radar this week for taking a swing at Wisconsin's coach after their game due to I mean. It's kind of complicated why it happened. I don't want to get into the why and if you should have been mad or not. But more of the story is it happened. He tried to punch another coach. Uh, and he has, as a result, been suspended for, quote, the rest of the season. But that's just the regular season, which is five games. It's convenient because Michigan is also a bubble team that will need to win games in the Big Ten tournament if they're going to probably make the NCAA tournament. So you could argue this punishment is probably less severe than it should be. I don't know if there's even precedent for a coach punching another coach. Um, but what it, what it got me thinking about were sports crimes and punishments, both too strong and too lenient. What stands out when you think about those that you've seen over the years? The closest thing, Adam, that I could equate what Juwan Howard did, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe you, you guys have another idea. It, it was Woody Hayes. You said you couldn't remember a coach hitting a coach. I remember a coach hitting a play, opposing player. 
and it cost Woody Hayes his job, tarnished his legacy forever. I mean, are you, I, I watch that. I go, come on. I mean, who does that? And, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I kind of thought he was going to be suspended for the balance, if not fired. And, I, and I'm not in administration. I'm not saying he should have been. I just I was just wondering about about, like you said, precedent or what have you. But um, I was struck by uh, or reminded rather uh, that somebody posted a, a play-by-play of an Indiana-Michigan game a couple of weeks ago where Juwan Howard went, went in by 16 and called a timeout with 50 seconds left uh, because Indiana was pressing. Mm-hmm. Um, now that's a little different than 15 seconds, but not that different than 15 seconds because they weren't going to lose the game. Um, Greg Gard uh, defended, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe he didn't – he didn't like Juwan Howard pressing his his all backups, okay? Mm-hmm. And maybe that's why he called a timeout because I, he didn't want these guys he just stuck in to get a 10-second call. That's what he said after the that's, game. Yeah, that's what he said the reason was. But at the same time, I don't think, Juwan Howard, you drop your mask and say, I'll remember this. When you're <laughs> pressing uh, with 15 seconds left and you're down, what was, what was the deficit, 15? I think it was 15, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're not winning the game. So, you know, I... I You've seen, we've seen plenty of contentious uh, uh, coach uh, um, greetings, whatever. I remember Jim Harbaugh and what was the guy's name? Schwartz from Jim the Lions. Schwartz. Yeah, they got Jim him Schwartz after a game. Got into it because Jim Harbaugh shook his hand, walked past him, patted him on the butt. And Jim Schwartz did not like that. And <laughs> that was nuts. entertaining. That, yeah, he, he absolutely, yeah, he absolutely went nuts. It was, that was entertaining stuff and what have you. But uh, uh, it came, when it came to the point where, they're questioning whether or not there should be a handshake line after the game. I'm sure a lot of people saw Tom Izzo's soliloquy about it when he was asked about it. And uh, he just thought that would I mean, Google it. You can find it. It's about a three minute answer to a, to a question. It appalled him that people would even think about that. And he spoke about how that's, we shouldn't be talking about that, especially with 18 and 19 year old kids. You need to show them that, that, that needs to be a staple of, of, of athletic competition. Um, but I mean, uh, come on, Joan Howard. Uh, you know, you need. I mean, he got into it last year with Mark Turgeon at the SEC, or excuse me, Big Ten Conference tournament, um, shouting at him from afar through their mask and whatever. So this this is as much as a Joan Howard thing as it is a as, as a coach thing. And I'm glad he came out and did all his mea culpas. But I, 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 it's worth noting, I think that all his mea culpas and apologies and all that stuff was after uh, after the fact. He should have he should have said something about it right after the game. No, yeah, I agree with that part of it. And you know, if I was an administrator and a coach did that um, at you know my school, I'm not necessarily saying I'd definitely want him fired, but I would certainly put that out there. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and Joanne Howard, if if Michigan had fired him, would I have been surprised? No. Fortunately for him, I'm glad he's not. You know, I I think it's a. I think there's probably some different elements at play here. One being that. You know, he's, he was such a great player, and he's, you know, he's relatively a young coach uh, changing into this role. Uh, but you've got to be better than that in that position. Uh, it's almost like he let his emotions as a player kind of take over as the coach, and that's mm-hmm. not the example that he needs to be setting. But in terms of other ones, I, I remember my all-time favorite college basketball coach's scrap, and it was really a scrap was the – John Cheney and John Calipari. One That's right. In the press conference. Yeah. Yeah. Good yeah I, I remember that. I remember it blowing up. And this was in the early to mid nineties. 
And that was well before social media and everything was 24-7. So I can only imagine what that would have been like in today's world because John Caney, Cheney basically threatened to kill him. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I'll kill you. I'll kill yeah. you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, I, but I want to know, what, what, what was the handshake line like? If they had if they had to take it into the media it's room. True. I know. That's a good yeah. point. I don't know. I don't too bad I don't think there's video of that one. <laughs> but but you know, the Woody Hayes one that Chris mentions very famous. Uh your question though was about the crime, right? Fitting the crime. Yeah, uh, the crime fit the punishment. Yes, 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 uh, yes. You know, in this case I'm okay with it. In other cases, uh I mean I look at baseball as being kind of a unique sport in this day and age with the uh, steroid scandal and still looming over the game here 15 years after players like Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens continually come up short in the Hall of Fame. Uh, You know, back in the day, I don't know if the punishment for these guys was just, I mean, even today, I know in, what is it, 80 games or so, a half a game, I would just like to see if a guy gets caught using steroids, he's suspended for the rest of the year, no pay. Just get it out of the game, man. You can do that. Uh, of course, the players you would fight that. I was about to say that probably has to be collectively broken. Yeah, <laughs> yes. and as, since that's going so well right now, let's <laughs> yeah, throw in that line out. much. So, uh, what? Uh, I mean, it's great suspensions. I do think the A Rod example is pretty interesting. He was basically just kicked out of the sport for I think a year and a half, maybe it was less than that. It was an it was an entire season and then part of another season. Um, but there's other guys who were tied to steroids that didn't really face a punishment like that. Like Barry Bonds was never suspended, I don't think. Clemens, I don't think these guys were ever actually disciplined while yeah, they were playing. I think, I think baseball fell a, a huge deal during the steroid era and proper discipline. I, I do think in the in day in today's day and age, it, it's it's harder and harder for these incidents not to get magnified in the media. And you know, you do see some swifter action. I mean, let's just I mean, the classic bully basketball coach, Bobby Knight. How many things do you think he did in his career that if he coached nowadays that he would got suspended for? And, of course, his career ended in Indiana on scandal after a player said he choked him finally with video. Uh, But before then, I remember him throwing a chair across the court in a game. I just think nowadays the punishment is probably going to fit the crime a lot more than maybe we've been accustomed to. And my final thought is, if Bobby Knight ever asked you to go hunting, never go hunting with him because I think he <laughs> shot three of his hunting companions in his life. So, <laughs> damn, it is definitely not a crime uh, to check out all of the content going up on FloridaGators.com, coming from Scott Carter and from Chris Harry as the the Gator Sports Wheel continues to turn with a lot of activity going on again this week as we start to get into some real crunch time, uh, especially on the basketball side. So. Check out these guys at Gators Scott, at Gators Chris, uh, and come back next week. We will talk about it all once more on episode 301. Thank you guys very much. Thanks, Adam. Thank you, Adam. If John Doe is the most generic name possible, Flandris Fleming is at the opposite end of the spectrum. The Athens, Georgia-born former Charleston Southern star came to Gainesville with 1,500 career points and a name that even he doesn't know the origin of. I really don't know. I mean, my grandmother, I asked my grandmother because, you know, my dad's name the same name. And I asked mm-hmm. my grandmother, um, like, where did she get it from? And she said her grandmother gave it to him. So 
she told me that it was like from an old, 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 old TV show. I don't really, I've been searching ever since, so I really have <laughs> no clue. I have no clue. I haven't found it once. I don't know the meaning behind it, but it's very unique and I love it, but I wish I did know <laughs> the origins of my name. So, I, I mean, I imagine I know the answer to this question, but have you ever met another Flandris other than your dad? No, I have not. I've met, um, like, different variations of my name. A girl named Philandra, uh, a little kid, but they spell it. They spell it different. It's like Philander. Mm-hmm. It's just different variations, but I've never met a one that's just like my name, no. So my name's Adam, which is really hard. Even like at Starbucks, they could mess up Adam. Uh, let's say you're at Starbucks and they say, or anywhere, let's say you're going to a restaurant and say, what's your name to put on the waiting list? What do you tell them? I don't even know what I would say at that point. I tell <laughs> this is funny because my uh, teammates, everybody, anytime I go out, um, they always laugh at me. I say, I say my name is Bob. I never say my, I never say flanges. I never say flanges. I would just say Bob. So, so you're at Starbucks and they say Bob. Yeah, that's me. I, that's really funny. <laughs> how many people have ever figured out how to spell your name without being expressly told how to do it? Not many. Not many people. <laughs> and when I was a younger, when I was younger, like teachers, everybody used to get it wrong. Just the even how to pronounce it. The pronunciations were crazy, but as I got older, um, a lot of people like started to say it how it's supposed to be said. They got it right. They got it right. Okay, I'm sorry. We've had enough fun at the at the expense of your name. I was just I was so curious. Um, so you mentioned you are you are a, a junior. Um, tell us about your parents, your family. I know you got lots of family. Tell us about them and, and where you grew up. Yeah, I have um, three brothers, three sisters, three younger brothers, three older sisters. So I'm like step like right in the middle um my dad played ball back then my uncles well really i just gonna come from a background of uh, sports um my cousins everything i have uh i think my grandmother had 10 children wow yeah so i have a lot of aunties uncles a lot of support behind me um yeah i grew up in athens georgia yeah man it was just coming up it was fun uh, being able to play at the boys and girls club and play AAU ball and you know my family was always there always supported me like you said I have a huge family huge huge um support system so that's that's really good for me so I read that all of your brothers and sisters play basketball now to what extent does that mean they all were they all were shooting on the driveway or like they all got scholarships to what extent was basketball really embedded within your family two of my older sisters played basketball one of them did it my, two of my older sisters played college, not college, high school ball, and then they, they decided they didn't want to play anymore. They had, you know, a couple chances to go to college and play ball, but they didn't want, they didn't want to do it. Um, and then my younger brothers, they are currently playing basketball. One of them is in middle school, two of them is in high school. Hmm. So they're trying to, you know, get a scholarship, and they're there on that, in that little era of, uh, of their career. So... Yeah, everyone's playing basketball. Um, my one of my little brothers plays football, and um, they're doing what they do. So I I talked to to Jason on the podcast a few weeks ago, and I asked mm-hmm. him a question. I said, "Tell me the the truth. What would you tell LeBron about Space Jam Two? Because I I don't think LeBron's listening to the podcast. I preface that by <laughs> saying I imagine your family will listen to this, so it it does give you a little more of a 
you, know, you, you got to be honest here, but I'm curious, who is the best in the family? Are you the best player in the family? Like, what's what's the hierarchy here of uh, of ball skills in the Fleming family? Yeah, I'm definitely the best to, from my dad, my <laughs> uncles, everybody. I'm I'm definitely the best out of all of them. Um, I never beat my uncle. Well, he says I never beat him one on one, but I remember because he has a goal in his backyard. I I remember it a different way, and my dad <laughs> my dad think he still can take me now. So it's just uh, I think I'm the best. Generally, do you think they would agree with that? No, my dad would never say. He it. would never. He would never right. say it. No, he won't say it. He won't say it. My uncle probably will say it, but my brothers know. And they think that they're, you know, they're coming along. So they said once they get um, my height, then then that's when they'll be able to beat me. It's fair enough. It's fair enough. So okay, so basketball being such a big part of your family, was it just was it automatic? Were you guy that was were you born with a ball in your hand? Did you play a different sport and then gravitate to basketball? When did that really lock in for you? Yeah, I was my dad kind of put a ball in my hand when I was born, man. I had this the sport I started off with and I fell in love with it as soon as I touched it. And um I mean I tried football, like little league, um, and then like towards my middle school years, I tried football, but I fell in love with basketball as soon as I touched the touched the um touched the ball. At what point did it become something you really thought you could pursue at the level you're at now? Like it, at what stage did you go from, Oh, you know, basketball is fun to basketball could be a career. It could be a, you know, a path to, to get somewhere I want to go. As a kid, man, it was always my dream to get to the NBA. Um, but you know, when you get older dreams, you got to start to think of reality instead of dreams. And then like towards my junior year of high school, I had, um, started you know branching out from my friends and my um you know peers and um that's when it really clicked to me like I could really do this I could really play this and I started to get looks and, and I felt like I was I was um when I got to Charleston Southern like my sophomore junior year that's when I really was like this could really be something special for me but yeah during that time I was really Really keen on keen on getting better and, and hopefully making it to my dream. So you mentioned going to, to Charleston Southern. Um, tell me about the recruiting process. What was that like when you started to get offers and what ultimately led you to Charleston Southern? This was the time, you know, in high school, during my time in high school, I was graduated in 2017. This was the era where AAU ball took like a whole nother jump. Like it went to a whole nother level where it was you know, um, important for you to really pick the good team, get the exposure. So I only had two offers coming out of high school. Hmm. And um, I had Air Force and then I had Charleston Southern. And I committed um, going into my senior year. So I didn't play my senior I was already committed to Charleston Southern before I played my senior year. And uh, the process was tough, man. It was tough because I was just like, I'm doing all of this, doing I'm playing great in AAU ball, playing great in high school ball, but like no one's coming to watch the games and stuff. So I had uh, committed to Charleston Southern because I thought, you know, I didn't think I was going to get any offers or anything, and I didn't want to get hurt and lose that offer. That's basically what it was, man. I had two offers. 
I worked for those two as hard as I possibly could. And I had looks from different colleges, but they weren't offering. And um, so I took Charleston Southern, and I'm happy I did. Hmm. What's it like getting recruited by one of the service academies? Is it is the Air Force process just like anything else, or, or is it different? Yeah, um, it's kind of the same. Um, the only difference is that was like after you graduate, you have to, you know, come back and serve. Mm-hmm. That's like a it's like a rule. And um, my stepdad, my stepdad was in the military for twenty years. Wow. He, um, yeah, he retired. So I kind of got that military all coming up, and I didn't want to do that another four years. So. <laughs> I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that, of course. So Charleston Southern obviously is in Charleston. Um, I've actually never been there, but it's a city and a, a place that people just rave about. What was your experience in Charleston and, and the time you had there in, in the city? I love Charleston, man. I, I, when I get older and retire, I think I'm going to live in Charleston. And how, how, how much I love it. The area is great. The people are great. The, the uh, weather is beautiful all the mm-hmm. time and um i just i just enjoyed like the area man the food is amazing so um, yeah it was a great time you know i had a lot of accomplishments in charleston a lot of great memories met a lot of good people it was just a, it was a great area great great um place to spend four years so you mentioned having you know, a great four years there and obviously you then decided to make a change so what went into the thought process of transferring and then why was Florida the right place? My thought, thought process was mostly, you know, COVID gave us, gave everyone another year. And um, it kind of robbed me of my senior year. It took away my senior night. Mm-hmm. I lost like, I think we, I think we didn't play like eight to 10 games. So it was just like a, Golly, why I wanted to, I wanted the senior year, I wanted to, you know, go out like better. But um, my, I just talked it over my family, prayed about it, prayed about it, and um, just talking to Coach White because he's the one that recruited me, and um, just talking to him and getting the feel of who he was and who, what the program is uh, built on. I think it would just fit, fit in with my play style the best um, during that process. So. Um, I had a lot of different, a few different colleges uh, contacted me, recruiting me, but Florida was definitely um, the one that stood out the most to me. You know, it's funny, you mentioned earlier being from Athens, and, and I, I imagine that when you're from Athens, you don't think about being a Gator one day. Uh, no. So I guess when, first of all, what was it like for you coming to terms with that? And then what did your family and friends think about it? You said, hey, I'm, I'm going to wear the orange and blue for, for a year. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, for me, it was an easy decision because I've never really been a Georgia basketball fan. Um, I've always been a Georgia football fan. Mm-hmm. So um, in, in basketball, I, I would go anywhere. I would play anywhere. So um, that when it came to me, it, it was easy. It, was a, it, it, didn't, it didn't really ponder my mind. But my friends and people around the city was like, what, <laughs> what are you doing? Why, why are you going there? But um they was like, because, uh, you know, my high school, Cedar Shoals, we were orange and blue, too. Oh, wow. Okay. So Yeah. So they was like, well, I guess we just put on the orange and blue from Cedar Shoals <laughs> to cheer for you, you know. But uh, my family was right behind me. They're also big Bulldog fans. Um, but they was like, that, you know, being that I'm the, you know, their child, their nephew or the, you know, they, um, they was like, we're 100% behind you. They was on board with it as soon as I committed here. 
Have you lost any friends that you're aware of because of this? Oh, no, not even close. Not even close. <laughs> Yeah, let me not speak too soon. Once we go to Georgia, we'll really see. So, That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, in terms of the you know the, the change in going from playing at Charleston Southern, playing at Florida, we're talking we're talking Big South versus SEC. What are the differences there? What have you felt the most in terms of style of play, speed of the game, etc.? Um. <laughs> It's not as easy as it was, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's just like the, the speed. That's what the biggest thing to me was a change when I first got here. Like the speed of you know players um, having a guard like Appleby and players like like him of his caliber, and the speed of the game was was bothering me when I first got here. I kind of you know I got adjusted as as the year came on and, the, and we started playing games, but that was the biggest thing for me. And just like the bigs, you know, <laughs> in Char- at Charles Southern, we didn't have 6'11", 7 footers, right. 250. You didn't, I never seen nothing like that when I was at Charles Southern, unless we played like, you know, a high major school. But we never had to deal with that in the Big South. So coming into the SEC, that was the second biggest thing. Like he didn't get hit by those screens, being able to get through those. And, you know, just reading the uh, different offenses and defenses of the SEC and of the high major, high major teams, it's just a whole lot. It's just way, way different than, than, than Big South play. Yeah, I was thinking, I always think about it just from a physical standpoint, like you're saying, guys are bigger, they're faster, they're taller. But also, I guess, from, from a basketball IQ standpoint, is the game more advanced in the SEC? Are the scouting reports more comprehensive? Is there more information that you have to process as well? That that part I don't think changes. I think uh, depending on your coach and how much he, he you know, they're into the details or they're into mm-hmm. the scouting and everything. Uh-huh. A lot of coaches won't change their game plan. They're just going to, you know, stick to their what they believe in, but a lot right. of coaches, you know, switch it up and and guard the different guard people different ways. So I think that's just a matter of you know your coaches. But um, I don't think that like because our scouts was when I was at Charles Southern, our scouts was very specific, very detailed, mm-hmm. just like it is here. You know, um, and they wanted to win just as bad as we want to win here. So I think the analytical part and the um, film and scouting part that's not the I don't think that's a big difference, um, but like just like the authority, like the um, like you said, the size and the, and the uh, speed of the game. That's probably just the biggest difference. If you've been watching basketball your whole life, I imagine there's a lot of guys that you look up to. Um, which players come to mind when you think about inspirations or role models? Who falls into that category for you? Um, well, my number one that of all time that I've always admired and looked up to was Kobe you know he's the reason I wear 24 and um, the reason I you know work as hard as I do and he's probably the the number one person I looked up to um, in the league now probably like Devin Booker people like I, I can see myself you know guarding or being a part of or looking up to when I if I get there um Bradley Beal, C.J. McCollum, those type of players in my position. But Kobe is the guy that inspired me to wear 24, inspired me to be to work as hard as I do. What was it about Kobe? Was it the way he played? Was it his swagger? Why did you latch on to him in that way? 
Yeah, man, it was just his ferocity and to, by his approach to the game. Like he was like a anomaly in the system. Like he he wasn't like anyone else. You know, like he tried, he reached, he tried to you know be like MJ, but like his work ethic was a different type of um, work ethic. And when he was on the court, he just looked like there was no one else like even coming close to him. His his when he when he when he played, he played with such a chip on his shoulder he was so focused every detail mattered to him and it, it and it just inspired me to you know try to be like him the mid-range game is just all around he was just a, just a crazy dude crazy dude i know you don't have a lot of free time but uh when you do what do you like to do away from the court um i play i play 2k a lot i'm a gamer um covid kind of got me into playing the game a lot before that, I didn't really touch the game. But besides the playing in 2K, I, um, I like to bowl. I'm a, I'm a okay. really good bowler, yeah. What are we talking about? Like a, like a 200 bowler? You, like what, what's your average? Uh, I'd say about 185, 190. Yeah, I was getting getting pretty good like um, during that recruiting process from Charleston Southern to Florida. I played a lot. I played a lot. I used to play every – I used to play, go every like three days got my own ball and everything so wow. I, 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 yeah i started to get into it but once i got here i got a little too busy and i took a step back from it but i'll probably get back into it during the off season have you have you gone out to bowl with teammates all have you tried hustling people like hey let's go bowl and i'm you know i'm not really good at this then you you pull your own ball out and they have no <laughs> idea what's hit them yeah i have i have <laughs> these guys i played with these guys when i first got here and uh they was you know Myron's pretty good at it though. Myron Jones, he's pretty, he's pretty good. He's a shooter, so his his um his bowling is straight line every time. But really, yeah, those, yeah, those guys, you know, we all don't went out to the bowling alley. I don't, I don't kick their butts a couple <laughs> times. <laughs> can you can you spin it pretty well? Yeah, for sure. That's the only way to do it. Did someone teach you how to do that, or did you just figure it out one day? Well, um, my cousin and my uncle, they did like a little professional, like not professional, but like uh, semi-professional league in Athens. And I used to just go watch him when I was younger. I used to just go watch. And I used to love how the ball used to spin. I used to see everybody do it. And like, I don't know why this is weird. I just used to watch YouTube. I used to watch bowling. Like I used to watch, <laughs> <laughs> I used to watch the PBA tournaments and the, the, wow. just the bowling tournaments. It's just, I don't know. And then, like, I just kind of YouTube it, and I'm like, okay. I kind of got it at first by myself, and then I just kind of uh, tried to critique it, like, through YouTube. And, like, no one really taught me how to do it, but I just kind of tried to find my own, I don't know how you call it, uh, throw. Your own, your own style, right? Your own style. Yeah, my own style. There you go. A couple final things for you. As you look at, you know, big picture this season, it's crazy. We're already, you know, on the, the tail end of it. Um, how do you think you've grown the most in your time in Gainesville and and advanced on your mission as you've talked about to to get to that next level? Yeah, um, I've gotten a lot stronger, a lot more, you know, quicker. Just body wise, my I just took a, I just excelled a lot, and that's just you know praise to Preston and the, and the strength staff. But um, mentally, I've gotten a lot better also. Um, I have, um, I think I've grown into the the poise, getting to more more poise on the court, and just being a smarter player, those are probably my two biggest things that I've grown a lot in Gainesville. Final question for you: 
Um, this team has endured a lot of blows over the course of the year, and it seems like adversity has just been hiding around every corner. How has this group handled that? And, and, and what have you learned about resiliency and you know maintaining a positive outlook even when things are going poorly? Because there's certainly been enough adversity in, in you know even in the last month to take up a whole season for most teams. Yeah. I mean, these guys are great, man. They're great character, high character guys. So, excuse me. And we got a lot of guys that, you know, come from places where we had to kind of um, go through adversity ourselves. You know, I came from Charleston Southern where my junior year, we ended the year with only seven players. Wow. I had to, I played nine games, 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. So, um, like, it's just that those, the type of adversity just, I have been, I think I've been prepared for, I mean, guys like we had an older team, Rouge, Albaby, Brandon, like we've all been places where uh, we had to fight and scrap and get out of, you know, adversity and get to where we are today. So I think it's just an attest to our character and, and the players that we have on this team. Listen, we really appreciate your time today telling your story. Uh, we're glad that you decided to, to put the orange and blue back on for a year <laughs> and uh, wish sure. you a lot of luck the rest of the way. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to Gator Tales wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review to help us continue to grow. Be sure to keep track of all of the orange and blue action by visiting FloridaGators.com, then come back here every Thursday during the athletic season for an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Thank you so much for tuning in to Gator Tales. Gator Tales.